What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Derek Ty on the line. I had his wife, Jessica Ty, on the line. Uh, she is a health practitioner, but um, a nutritional therapist, rather. But Derek and I clicked when I went up to spend some time with them uh, for a keto group but he and i just clicked when it came to like business mindset and just everything that's involved therein um so i know we're going to dive deep into that with that said how are you derek hey i'm doing awesome thanks for having me on the show i am a fan as you know and uh love to hear all the great advice you're giving everybody every week i appreciate it man i really do um so so give the audience a little little background we we kind of we, we we dove into all this mindset when we were there in person and I feel like it only the only way to acquire that outlook that we have and share is if you've kind of gone through some degree of just, you know, just work like trials, tribulations, bunch of adversity, and then that kind of brings you to that point of clarity. Um, so just kind of bring us up to date and, and give us some insight and background into who you are and where you've come from. Well, I appreciate that. Well, so kind of my story is blended in with uh, Jessica's there because uh, we've been married for almost uh I think it's 22 years now. I should probably know that. Uh, but back in uh, 96, we uh, got married. So, um, but you know, our story is, is, is kind of an interesting one. We both grew up kind of in a pretty humble backgrounds, you know, lower middle class kind of, uh, you know, working hard, you know, my home, uh, we had up to five kids, depending on, you know, uh, we had uh, half brothers and sisters coming in and out of the house. We had one bathroom, you know, a little three bedroom house, no garage, no basement, gravel driveway, and kind of grew up in this kind of, uh, you know, kind of small little community. And, uh, you know, talking about mindset, just from being a little kid, my mom was always like, hey, you can be anything you want to be, uh, you know, the sky's the limit, just very positive. Um, you know, we were a very faith-based family. We were, we grew up kind of, uh, you know, like this Baptist Christian uh, kind of uh, thing here. And, and I kind of was like, okay, mom, you say we can do it. I'll try. And uh, she's like, no, don't try do it. You know, you got to really put your mind to it. So uh, kind of the brief story, we can go into some more detail on how this all worked out. We went from, you know, that's kind of our background. Jesse grew up in a, Jesse, Jessica grew up in a very similar home right down the street, uh, you know, like five blocks away. And uh, we didn't meet till high school. Um, we, we've, been, we've been together for 25 years after you count the uh, time we spent dating before we got married. But we both kind of, you know, uh, group together. I was working at a fast food restaurant and uh, we met and uh, she told her friend, she's like, this guy's going places. So I don't know what she saw in me shopping, you know, chili at a little uh, parlor down the street. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it, I don't know her mindset was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be with a winner also, but you know, all the signs on the surface, I always tell people she married me for my money. And that was like $4 and 25 cents an hour. So yeah, you were, you were raking it in, man. I know I was bringing in the big bucks and, uh, you know, now, now they're <laughs> like half the minimum wage or something, but you know, it was a minimum wage job, but you know, I always had that mindset. I was going to go to school. I was my, my kind of thought in life was, you know, I saw my dad kind of, uh, start some entrepreneurial endeavors. And then, uh, unfortunately none of them worked out. I also saw him take normal jobs just to pay bills. And my mom was pretty much the breadwinner growing up. So I kind of had a reverse kind of situation than a lot of people. So I, I know that, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, not everyone has the uh, kind of silver spoon uh, kind of story, uh, you know, I, but I think that's actually what makes us strong when we go forward. Don't you agree? Yeah, completely, man. Do you, um, so 
did your parents go to college? Were they, did they go to college? Yeah, that's a great question. So my mom never did. Um, and her job was more of like a secretarial position and she had that same job for like 40 years. And, uh, you know, she had a couple small little promotions, but overall she pretty much did kind of the same things, but for higher and higher ranking people. So I, I saw this kind of grit and determination from my mom over the years. Like, you know, she would go 45 minute drive each way in Cincinnati where I live. That's, that's a long drive. Um, but she, um, she drove that drive twice a day, you know, there and back. She wanted to be a stay at home mom, but my dad, unfortunately, uh, had some disabilities and issues. He ended up dying like uh, 18 years ago. But, you know, when he was alive, he really struggled with trying to keep money coming into the family. So, yeah, I really wanted a lot more than what I saw around me. I wanted, uh, you know, a great lifestyle. I wanted to go on great vacations, which we really didn't get to do when I was a kid. We just went to go see our grandparents every year for, you know, uh, like our two week vacation and uh, never got on any fancy vacations, didn't have a fancy house, didn't have fancy cars. Uh, I wasn't around anybody with any kind of wealth, didn't see anybody with any great clothes or jewelry or gold teeth or anything fun. So I, I, uh, I, I, I kind of just kind of yearned for some of those things, uh, even as a kid and just said, you know what? Gold teeth. Yeah. Even the gold. Yeah. It's something I never did achieve. <laughs> I think I gave up on that right now. Oh man. But yeah, it's, it's been a fun journey so far. So, uh, you know, I guess for part of today, I was going to kind of go through some of the little steps I took from doing that all the way to kind of where we are today. I, a quick question for you, man. I've noticed that, you know, whenever your, your upbringing plays a huge role in your outcome. And I see so many, so many youth, so many kids that are born into a certain lifestyle and it seems to become just exponentially harder for them to um, break free of that, whether for good or bad. Like you, you tend to, you know, not fall too far from the apple didn't fall too far from the tree, so to speak. Um, so what do you think it was in you? Like you said, you didn't see these people, you, you weren't interacting with them on a day to day basis that, you know, these more affluent people, so to speak. But what do you think was your trigger that made you even realize that there was more out there? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think all of us kind of grew up, uh, I grew up, you know, kind of in the 70s and 80s and a lot of watching TV at night with my dad and uh, you know, Wheel of Fortune was playing or, you know, one of these games like Scrabble was on for a while and, you know, and the uh, price is right. And you saw people like winning things and, you know, getting a new car and, you know, Magnum PI driving around the Ferrari and uh, Miami Vice, you know, all these kind of, uh, you know, celebrities that are doing these big things. So our generation is probably different because I didn't grow up on Instagram and Facebook and all that. So I didn't see people I knew doing it. It was more of like these celebrities. But I had this like deep down feeling inside, like, you know what, someday you can achieve some pretty big things. And I didn't know exactly what that meant. I just knew that it was a lot more than what I had at the time. So I couldn't articulate it, but I just had this feeling like, Derek, if you go to school and you, you know, uh, achieve this uh, kind of success there, you can really control your destiny. And I think that's what really excited me is to be able to make choices and to know that there was a huge world out there. And literally this the sky was the limit i could do whatever i wanted i love it yeah i think a lot of parents say that like a lot of parents always tell their kids you know you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up but it's harder for them to to actually raise their kids with that type of mentality than it is to just say it blatantly like those words often become hollow like a kid can oftentimes dream to do these things but Unfortunately, more often than not, the parents are even, I mean, they're unsupportive. They'll tell them that they can do anything, but then they're unsupportive of them doing something. So the fact that your mother, you know, was very like iron willed, like, you know, don't just say you'll try, just say you'll do it and then go for it. You know, that's, that's admirable for sure. 
Well, she gave me some lessons and kind of one of the big lessons my mom taught me was to be excellent. Like whatever you do and her theory in life was to do it under like you're doing it for God directly. Like, you know, if you think about like, hey, someone's not going to see me do this thing over here or serve this person over here. When you really, truly do things with excellence, you're not worrying about who's looking. Okay, so my mom was always like, listen, she she could have taken some shortcuts. She never called in sick. You know, she didn't have some super executive job. She treated it like she was working for the king, like she was working for the president of the universe. Right. And so she put that excellence in every day. Well, those same employers took really good care of her over the years. They could have laid her off when, you know, she was making a lot more money than an average secretary by the time she'd been there for 40 years because these people loved her and she they didn't want her to leave. When she retired at like 65 years old, they didn't want her to, to leave because she knew everything. She knew all the people. She had all the right relationships. So she took a job that most people would consider like, oh, that's not a really prestigious job. She's a secretary. She turned it into, I'm working literally for the president of North America for a large engineering firm. I mean, she literally like was the top she could do with her position. And I think it comes down to that mindset of excellence. She's like, I'm doing this no matter what at the top, top, top level. Like, that's, that's huge, man. I think a lot of people, especially, you know, younger people that are like, quote unquote, in their their upbringing where they're, they're trying to, you know, find themselves and they'll jump from one job to the other, which they don't really think as their main job. Like they don't think of like a part-time job in college to be like their career path. And then they'll, they'll, that'll be shown like they'll, they'll half-ass that job. But if you truly do every, every single task that you're encountered with in a day to the best of your ability, like even if it's sweeping the floor, taking the trash out, like doing it and rocking it, I mean, that, that builds the habits that transcend that one job and it bleeds into every other area of your life. And then it opens up more opportunities for you outside of that job. Well, and, and that's a concept that so many people don't fully grasp. Well, you're a business owner. I mean, just think about it like this. And everyone out there that's listening, it's a business owner. You know, when you have an employee that's just absolutely killing it, I don't care what level of position they are. They could be your CEO. They could be your sweet, your sweeper, like you said. Your immediate reaction as a good steward of your own company is going to be like, this guy's going places. This lady is going to do awesome things in my company. You want to keep giving them opportunities. You want to keep giving them more responsibility. And I think people are so short-sighted. They don't see like when I was working at this little chili parlor as my first job, I started at 15 years old. I did the little extra things. I swept the floors. I made sure everything was tidied up before I left. I made sure the register was cashing out exactly, or I'd put a couple cents in the drawer myself. I made sure that the soda machine was wiped down to the extreme. But within six months, I was 16 years old. They promoted me to a night manager. Like no one at 16 years old is a manager of a, a little restaurant. And then I eventually got to run pretty much the whole night operations of this little chili parlor. And I was like 17 and a half years old. And it was because mm -hmm. I took stewardship of something that had been given to me. And I didn't, and I, cause I learned that from my mom, just do it with excellence. And they gave me a raise. And they, I mean, you know, you think about it, you go from 425 to 525 an hour, that's like 20% or whatever, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it may not seem like a lot of money, but like, a good uh, owner of a company, I'll give you a quick story about that. I was staying late one night and I was doing some little extra things that Probably I didn't have to do. I just wanted to make sure that the next people the next morning found it in a good condition. The owner comes in. This guy owned like five of these chili parlors in Cincinnati. And uh, he had a brand new Porsche 911 Turbo. 
And so he literally takes he literally takes me out and he goes, listen, Derek, he's like, thank you for being such a hardworking employee. Um, we were in this big mall and it was a Sunday night. I'll never forget this. It's about 630. The mall had shut down. There was no one in the parking lot. It's a big mall. He goes, how would you like to take a little ride in my car with me? I was like, oh my gosh, are you serious? So literally he puts me in his Porsche 911 Turbo, puts me in the side. I get in there and he goes, you ready? I'm like, yeah, he's gone. So you're just in like three and a half seconds, okay? This is the part of that fantasy life that I thought, okay, I could be this guy someday, right? So we're flying around the mall doing this and that. So we get, he's like, what'd you think of that? I was like, dude, you just changed my life. Like this is, no one has ever done anything like this for me. Thank you so much, right? So I go home. The next morning, I could not go to school. My neck, literally, I had whiplash. I mean, this is not wow. a joke. It was legit. This guy had gone as absolutely as fast as you can in a car like that. It literally gave me whiplash in my neck. So my dad and I laughed about it, but you know, that was one of those, I would have never had that opportunity if I wasn't staying late, if I wasn't doing the right things, if this guy hadn't seen me working hard in this place. And that's one of those little tastes of success that I got for later. That's awesome, man. I feel like like a lot of people, they, they want to, you know, do the minimum and then they'll say, well, let me get a raise and then I'll work that much harder. But it's like the total opposite. Like you work harder and you get the raise, not the other way around. And I don't like, don't ever sacrifice your integrity. Don't ever give yourself a reason to doubt yourself or your own capabilities. And if you put forth, you know, maximum effort at all times, anything can happen. And that includes getting to drive around the parking lot in a Porsche. <laughs> exactly. Well, you've heard of the parable of the talents before, right? It's pretty, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you just said in the Bible, he's like, listen, man, he told a story about these three guys. One was given, you know, a certain bag of money. The other guy was given a little bit more money. And then the third guy was, or actually you gave them to what their talents and abilities were, is how much money he gave them. So the first guy, he uh, goes and basically invests it into a business and he makes X amount times what, you know, the, the owner had given him. The second guy, he does a good job and he also doubles the money. The third guy buries his in a hole. And he said, I heard that you're a tough guy. I'm not going to, you know, put my money out there for risk because I was afraid I would lose it. And, you know, the master comes back and says, listen, you two that invested the money, what little that I gave you, I'm going to give you much more and take the, the talents and abilities and, and the money away from this guy who just buried his. At least he could have put it in the bank and got interest. I mean, so a lot of us are walking around here in this world and they're like, well, what kind of talents do I have? What kind of abilities do I have? And, you know, we're, we all have something I heard on your last podcast. We all have something unique to offer the world. Uh, you know, we all have something that we can contribute, whether it's sweeping a floor or CEO of a uh, multi-million dollar healthcare organization, we all have something to contribute. The, the key is we just have to get out and do it. We can't sit around and go, well, maybe when this happens, maybe when I get that promotion, maybe when I get paid more money, nope, do it now and then prove yourself, you know, prove yourself afterwards. 100%, man, 100%. Speaking of money, I, I want to just like touch on that a little bit, you know, you and I were very business minded. We just love business. It's like a it's like a game. It's like a challenge. It's every day is an opportunity to be better than we were the day before. And that just drives us to, you know, push and push and push that much more. Money is a necessary part of business without a doubt. But so many people have the wrong view of money, I feel. And I'm I'm curious to get your take on the value of money, so to speak. Like Everybody that's listened to my podcast has heard me say a jillion times that, you know, where I find my fulfillment is not in any monetary gain. It's in the the interactions with the people that I deal with, the emails I get, the DMs I get. Um, and that's that's true and that will always be true. 
but money plays an important part in life. I mean, it, it's it's definitely an important thing. And so many people like villainize money, but you and I, who are both striving to improve our foundation, provide for our families, and be the best that we can be as entrepreneurs, what is, what is your outlook towards money? Like, how do you view it? Well, that's a great question. So money is really just an exchange for time. I mean, you got to think about like, if you went out to the top gurus out there in the world and said, listen, I want to shortcut my success from five years to one year, probably you can find a guru in any industry that says, yeah, for you know X amount of money, 10 grand, 100 grand, million dollars, I'll give you the last five years of my life boiled down and I'll shortcut whatever you're doing. So in a lot of ways, time is money, literally. And so, you know, some people take some shortcuts and so there's some good shortcuts and there's some not so good shortcuts out there. But I think money really is an exchange for time. So, you know, I think, for example, on podcasts is probably the best return on your money. And let me explain that. So if you've got someone like, you know, Robert Sykes out there who's researched the you know what out of the keto diet and physical fitness and uh, muscle, you know, building and all this, and you can get a free podcast for a half an hour, 45 minutes or an hour, and he's interviewing some other guy who's willing to give up his time. That's your ultimate exchange for time and money, right? Because they're not paying anything for it. And yet they're getting this huge reward. In the same way in the business world, it works that way. Like, so my primary business, I own a real estate companies. Okay. So my primary business is I help people to buy and sell property. So you could stick a for sale by owner sign out in your yard and you'll probably get someone that knocks on the door and they'll probably they want to come through it. You haven't screened the person out before. You don't know if they're a lunatic or a serial killer. You don't know if they're really approved for a bank. You don't even know if they'd ever be approved for that amount of money. You let them in your front door. Okay. Then you spend 30, 45 days with them because they say they want to buy your house and you're hoping they buy it. At the end of the day, four months later, the house is still for sale. This guy wasted all your time and you probably put your family in a lot of risk and danger, right? So, so basically you think about time-wise, instead you hire a real estate agent who's going to earn 3% or whatever, and they're going to take on all that drama for you. They're going to say, listen, I've done this so many times. I can tell you how to save your time, how to save your, your family, all this stuff. So they take money in exchange for time. And you can find this example over and over again with coaching programs, with, you know, uh, you know, you and I coach together and do some other things. It's like, there's, there's ways that you can say, I can either barter for that time, which really also comes down to money, or money itself becomes an exchange for time. So I'd say you can't let money be your master. You can't be focusing on the money. You have to be focused on what value can I put out there in this world that is everyone just has to have it. And not just everyone, your target client. So if in my business, I'm looking for people that are trying to move up from one house to another because I know statistically they're, they, they need the help with how do I sell my home and then buy this other property? And hey, what, what's the best strategy on staging my house? And how do I get financing to buy a house if I haven't sold my house yet before? So they're asking me this extreme advice and I can help them with that. So I help them with the time aspect, but ultimately it's like a coaching relationship or a consultant. So we all are bartering time for money all the time. And it's just a matter of not making the money your God. You have to make God your God and you have to make serving other people your primary opportunity there. Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, money, I don't know who said this, but I, I read it in a book or something, heard it on a podcast. But they, they said that money, money doesn't 
buy you happiness. Money doesn't, I mean, that's obviously a known statement, but something, the basic premise of it was money just amplifies and illustrates the person you really are. That's what it all kind of boiled down to. And, and money is just like a tool, you know, like it gives you more leverage. It gives you more of a resource. It gives you more of an opportunity to impact more people. Um, I mean, it's kind of like, like, uh, followers, for instance, on social media, like, I don't care what my total number of followers are. I'm much more impressed with the loyalty and the, the integrity of my followers, but having more followers gives me that much more opportunity to reach that many more people in a positive way. And I think money has a similarity in that regard. Well, let me tell you something else about money that a lot of people don't think about. So a lot of people have a poverty or an orphan mentality about money. Can I explain that? Mm Mm-hmm. So basically, think about this. If you grew up and maybe you didn't have a lot of money, um, so your trajectory a lot of times, and this was me at the beginning, was, you know what? There's other people that have all the money, and there's almost this scarcity mentality, like they've got the money and I don't. Not The mentality should have been, we can all have money. Like There is literally an unlimited amount of wealth out there because there's always a new idea that can be created. There's a new product that can be created. There's a new coaching program that can be made, and literally the economy can literally just be exponential, right? So mm-hmm. so a lot of people's mentality about money is they look at it like, well, I only have so much, so I got to save it. And I only can, you know, uh, spend so much money per month. But really, you got the way you got to think about it is, like you said, it's a tool, it's a vehicle, it can be leverage. So what I teach people, we have a lot of real estate investors that I deal with. And these guys, some of them have millions of dollars in real estate that they don't owe any money on. And some of them, they use a lot of bank leverage. So the way they got their start a lot of times is instead of going out and buying real estate at um, you know full cash value. So let's say it's a $100,000 property. You can take that $100,000 and you can say, here's $100,000, Derek, go find me an investment property. I can find you one tomorrow. You can close on it in two weeks. You can start getting a rental income right away. Or you could take that same $100,000 and buy an eight family apartment building for five hundred thousand dollars, you get a loan for you know four hundred, and you're and you're getting a fifty thousand dollar net return every year on that money. So you get fifty thousand dollar return on a hundred thousand dollar cash investment. That's a fifty percent cash on cash return on your investment. So who's the smarter person out there? The one that's putting everything cash that says I only do everything in cash, or is it the person that's using leverage to get to the next level? Yeah, and there's definitely like a a line you have to balance there because some people over leverage themselves and they become just incredibly vulnerable. They're not smart with how they're leveraging themselves. Um, but I mean, having a, it kind of goes back to like the scarcity mindset versus the opportunistic mindset. I mean, you have to be able to take on a reasonable amount of risk um, to, to have that higher gain. And I, and I, I mean, there's so many parallels with that in life. I mean, I'm looking at some of the decisions I'm making now with like the keto brick investments and whatnot. It's like, I could play it safe and keep doing what I'm doing, or I could invest this money and this time and my resources and and purchase this piece of equipment that's going to amplify the bricks that we're able to produce by X amounts and cut down on labor costs, et cetera, et cetera. And, and thinking of it through that lens is not only just much more exciting and fulfilling, but it's much more effective and efficient. I mean, you get more done and you get more time back, kind of going back to what we're saying about time being the, the great equalizer. Well, you know, honestly, we all have a limited amount of time. You said in your last podcast, uh, basically, you know, life is too short and people are, uh, you know, uh, they're going to die eventually. I'm sorry to tell everybody out there, but you are going to die eventually. So we only have so much time on this earth, you know, like your one guest was going to be 
potentially gone at 20. I mean, that's crazy, right? And then you've got me, I'm going to be 43 this year. You know, the way I, my mindset is, is I've got another 77 years or so on this earth. And my goal is to live to 120 years old and I want to be healthy and strong till the day I'm gone. I just want to, you know, be either hit by a bus or fall asleep one night at 120 and just, that was, that's my checkout, right? So, but my mindset is I've got, you know, I've got a long legacy to live. So I'm not going to shortcut things that are really important to me because I want to leave a legacy here. I want to leave a legacy of service. I want to leave a legacy of excellence. And I want people uh, not necessarily to remember me, but I want them to remember the way they felt. Like, how did we make people feel throughout their whole lives? Secure and happy and, and taken care of and you know, that they were served properly. That's, that's the kind of legacy we all should want to leave for other people. You, you had mentioned that goal to live to 120 when, when we were uh, together in Ohio, kind of expand upon that, man. Like that's, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty bold goal, but yeah, I mean, kind of going back to the mindset, like how you view your life is, is key. And you know, so many people, they just like check out when they hit 70 years old, like, okay, my, my prime time is over. And when you have that philosophy, when you have that outlook on life, like you're going to start, you know, just going downhill from there forward. Um, but but kind of expand on that whole concept of, of wanting to live to 120 and not just exist until then, but like actually live vibrantly. Well, I want to be like, so, you know, um, I'm not a Jewish person, but I like follow a lot of Jewish uh, kind of writings and teachings because I think. You know, the, you know, Judaism has a lot of really rich history and, you know, there's a lot of very wealthy people in, uh, in that religion. And, you know, I'm a Christian, but I also like to learn and study other world religions. And, you know, they, they don't have a word for retirement in the Hebrew language. Like it doesn't exist. And you think about all these successful people over thousands of years and they don't even retire. Like, like we think of like all oh, this American dream that we've been sold to by the, you know, the investment companies and the 401ks and the commercials we watch say, Hey, live, you know, have a happy retirement at 55 or 60 or 65. But people don't really define what does retirement actually mean? Like, does that mean you don't have to work? Does it mean you aren't allowed to work anymore? Is it you're going to collect social security? And, and do you think there'll be social security left when we're 60 or 70 years old? I mean, these are big questions people need to ask themselves now. So if your mindset is, listen, I'm going to find something and it maybe it changes, but I'm going to find something I really enjoy doing every day that I know is going to really light people up. That's really going to make people happy. And I'm going to figure out how to do that to the best of my abilities, being an excellent servant leader. Then you don't, why would you retire? I mean, if you're living your dream life and you're helping people every day and people are coming to you going, man, help me out with this. And man, uh, you're so uh, you know insightful about this area. Why would you ever want to retire? You know, and, and I know I'm not 75 or 80 years old, so I can't step my feet in someone's shoes like that. But, you know, you and I know I'm on the keto diet. I've been doing it for over two years. And I feel like my mental clarity is the best it's ever been at 43. I've got the best energy. You know, my, I feel like my hormones are balanced. I feel like I'm getting fitter and healthier every day. So when I look at my life, I don't look at it as a decline. Like people, oh, you're over the hill. You're 40 years old. I'm like, dude. I'm only a third of the way there. What are you talking about? Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that, Alec, man. I, I, honestly, the, the whole concept of retirement just pisses me off. Like, that's the only way to put it. I see so many people, like, just losing, like, when, when I talk with somebody, I'm sitting across the table from them, and I'll talk about my passions, and then I'll, like, see this spark light up in their eye, because they, they, that spark is some sense of excitement. They're excited about something, especially when I see them talking about their passions. 
And when you just focus on retirement and you hate your current life so much that you're just looking forward to this, this, you know, abstract moment when you can walk away from it. I mean, that spark dies. Like if, like, it's just, it's a sad thing to watch, man. It's regret. Like seeing regret in somebody's eyes is the most, that, that's my biggest fear. I never want to have that feeling of regret in my life. I want to be able to be on my deathbed and smile when I pass and know that I gave it everything I had. And I don't think I would be able to do that if I just checked out at 65 years old and said, okay, I'm done, done living, done learning. Let's just, you know, play golf and, you know, rest easy the rest of the days. I mean, that I feel like is like being alive, which going big picture here, but being alive is a blessing and a gift. You're not owed anything. You don't deserve anything. So as long as you're breathing, I feel like you should devote your every being to just adding as much value as you possibly can and soaking it up and helping as many people as you possibly can and just being the best that you can. And only you know what that is. But if you're not pushing for that on a day-to-day basis, then you're declining. You you can't just stay stagnant in life. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And if you're not trying to strive for that that perfection, that excellence that your mom spoke about, then in my opinion, you're, you're declining. Well, and that's the thing too is, you know, the lesson I learned from my dad. So my dad has had his, you know, issues and he was a little disabled. He couldn't go out in the backyard and play with us and he couldn't, uh, you know, uh, go on hiking trips and do stuff. So there was a kind of a sadness in my life about that. And one of the things I decided to do before I became a dad was I never wanted to be like that. I wanted, I have five kids. I wanted to be able to run around with them, do activities with them, be in the backyard with them, wrestle with them. I wanted to beat them at everything. Like my oldest son is almost 18 years old. If I, if he and I got into a wrestling match or something, I still think I could whoop him even though he's taller than me and bigger than me. Right. So my mentality (laughs) is I'm not giving up, you know? And so for my dad, he wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, but the lesson I did learn from my dad, um, kind of that was the negative lesson. The positive lesson I learned was he was the most generous person I've ever met. Um, and I can tell you all kinds of stories, but I'll just focus on one. Um, so we lived in this not so great neighborhood. I mean, it was, you know, nice little lower middle class neighborhood. There was nothing wrong with it. It wasn't like high crime or anything like that. But there was this homeless guy that would sit on the corner a few streets away from ours. And um, my dad literally would pick him up in the car and like take him up to like KFC and buy him like a chicken dinner and then drive him back home and put him back on the corner. Like we couldn't put him in our house or anything, but my dad said, here's something I can do. And I remember one time where I'm on the way somewhere with one of my friends. We were on, uh, it was driving somewhere and he stops the car next to the homeless dude. I was like, dad, I'm begging him. Dad, don't put that guy in the car. Please don't put it. He stinks so bad. He stinks so bad. And dad, you know, he's like, Derek, I'm putting him in a car. He needs a ride. So he like drops him off at like the convenience store a few blocks away. And my, my buddies in the back of the car, I'm so embarrassed, you know, as a, you know, 10 year old kid or 12 year old kid, I'm thinking to myself, like this guy, like he's going to think like my dad's the weirdest person in the world. So we didn't really talk about it. It was just one of those moments I didn't really kind of want to talk about. So years and years and years later, I'm talking like 15 years later, this guy calls me up and we had coffee and he's like, Hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. He goes, do you remember when your dad picked up that homeless guy and we were in the car? And I was like, yeah, because that was one of the coolest moments of my life. He goes, seeing somebody that didn't just say, I care about people, but actually did it. He goes, that was the most generous thing I'd seen someone ever do. And uh, so that made a big impact on me. Like he remembered that after all these years. Yeah, goosebumps, man. It's a, uh, it, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Like when, when 
there's several moments in life when you're faced with an opportunity to be the better person or not, to like actually selflessly care for somebody else or not. And it takes a little bit more effort, it takes a little bit more energy, it takes a little bit more time. But when you do it, it's just like, I don't know, like there's that the feeling you get from that can't be purchased, it can't be bought, it can't be achieved any other way than just doing that simple act of selfless kindness. And I don't know, I feel like more people should live like that. It'd be a better place. Have you heard of the concept of seed time and harvest before? Uh-huh. So basically, here's how it works, okay? And this is a biblical principle, but it applies to everything. You basically plant seeds in good soil, okay? You water, you fertilize, and then over time, you harvest, right? It's a pretty simple concept. Well, if you think about how that applies to life, like here's my dad sowing seeds of generosity, sowing seeds of love, sowing seeds of, you know, just being a good person. All those years ago, he never made it big. He never made a million dollars. He never got to buy a fancy car. He never, he died without doing any of that stuff. But guess what? He passed that seed along to me. That seed germinated Mm -hmm. in my heart and the way I treat people. And here it is all these years later. Here I am 30 years later, still talking about this little simple act of kindness my dad did. That seed germinated. It got got fertilized. It got watered. And now it's literally being harvested in the success that I've got as a person. Now I'm able to give even more. Because of the success I've had in business, we've been able to pay for two adoptions and one international and special needs adoption and surgeries and, you know, brains and all the stuff that have been healed and done. It's like that seed that my dad planted by picking up a dude in the car and a lot of other little things he did are now harvesting themselves. And I know of two little girls' lives that have been completely changed. And it's not, I don't take credit for that. I'm just saying like, it's all these things that have happened that you have to trace back to the seed. Speaking of the adoption, man, this may seem like off on a tangent, but I think it it has a really big parallel here. But what, what, made you and, and Jessica want to to go forward with that? Because adopting a child, I mean, that that's a pretty, I mean, that, that can be a very selfless act in itself. I mean, what was the motivation behind doing that? Kind of just show us behind the curtains of that decision. Well, to be honest with you, you know, it is a huge, crazy decision. And most people are not going to tell you the truth that, you know, you have moments where you're like, man, did I do the right thing? Is, you know, this costs so much money. Like, could we, I mean, I had people go, Derek, wait until you've saved up X amount of money and then do it. Or wait until you've got, you know, your other kids are grown up and out of the house or wait. It's like, you know, you get people that are well-intentioned that want to come behind you and say, Hey, we're looking out for you and your family. But, you know, Jesse and I, even from when we were dating, had this idea, like, there's a lot of orphans out there in this world. And if I told you the statistics, it would break your heart. But I think the sum is about 30 million just in China where we adopted our one little girl. So, and only about uh, 8,000 kids from China are adopted into the United States every year. So, I mean, I kind of take, if you take like a quarter and throw it into a well and it it goes all the way down to the bottom of the well, that's about 8,000 out of 30 million. So like, it's just not even close number. So the well just keeps getting deeper and deeper. So we had a heart for, you know, kids and orphans. And honestly, I thought maybe we'll have like one kid, maybe two. And I wasn't even sure if I wanted to have my own birth children because Jesse and I, when we first started dating and kind of starting to live the success life, I was like, man, I want to travel and I want fancy cars and I want this house and all this stuff. And we kind of, uh, after my dad passed away and he always wanted me to have a child and I never did. It man, it hit me so hard, like we got to get started. So the kind of quick path, quick story was we had three boys in succession, birth children, one, two, and three, within about five years. 
And then um, a couple years later, we just had this big like hole, like we're like, man, there's still like we, we really, you know, there's really something else out there for us. We didn't know what it was. So we looked at local adoptions. We looked at foster to adoptions. We looked at Russia. We looked at China and all the pieces didn't fit until we actually had settled on China. And once we kind of said, yeah, I think this is the direction I want to go, like all these, you know, this is this could be a 10 hour podcast. I'll keep it short. But all these pieces started falling into place. So the mindset for us was, you know, let's just take one step at a time. We know this is the direction we're supposed to go. We don't know how we're going to afford it. I mean, it's a pretty expensive thing. And we didn't know how exactly we'd have the time to do it all. And then going to China for three weeks and two years of paperwork, it was just a lot. So, but we literally just took one step at a time and God kept opening one door after the other. And then the crazy part of the story is right before we were just about to um, get a referral from China saying, now you've been matched up with somebody. We got a call from a local birth mother in our city that said, I know you guys are in, deep in the middle of another adoption, but um, I'm pregnant and I've been um, through a friend of a friend kind of stalking you on Facebook and I would love for you to adopt my little daughter and she's not born yet. And the craziest story ever happened and we go meet with this lady and she basically says, yeah, I want you to be, uh, I can't, I can't uh, be the mother of this child. Long, long story short, we adopted this little girl from day one, the day she was born. We put our Chinese adoption on hold until um, we had at least a year because uh, the United States and China governments, they don't want you to adopt multiple kids back to back like that. So we waited a year, we had to make a big decision, and then we still went forward with the Chinese adoption also. So we ended up looking for one child to adopt and ended up getting two. So, um, you know, you, I mean, and honestly, our little girls are just amazing. They're just the, the little bright spot of our life. We love our boys too, but our little girls are just something special about them. And uh, just knowing that these, it, it really, like, really, really gets my heart all messed up if I think about them not being part of our family. Like, it's not even an option. Like, I can't even go there in my mind knowing what their life could have been like. Or in Lily's case, she wouldn't probably be alive right now if she wouldn't have come to the United States. Lily's the one from China, right? Yeah, she had. She was born with a rare syndrome. Um, it's like 22Q11. I might be getting that wrong off the top of my head, but she basically has, um, it's a very rare syndrome, uh, which causes apraxia all over her body. And she has other symptoms like seizures and uh, other balance issues and things. So she had to have a heart surgery as soon as she came to the United States, which she was only a little less than three years old at the time. And then she has subsequently had two major um, seizure events where she was completely incapacitated, had to be helicoptered to the children's hospital, spent five days in ICU each time. So over the last three and a half, four years, she has been through a lot. Plus what she went through as an orphan back in China which I don't even want to go into now because you guys would be all too sad to continue here. But the bottom line is she's this happy little kid now. She's part of a great family. She's got a sister who's a month apart in her in age because of the adoptions. And uh, she could, uh, honestly, she could not be more of a joyful, happy kid than she is. It's awesome, man. Like, I feel like, I don't know, it's just the coolest thing ever to be able to be able to offer some, you know, young child. Children, children fascinate me. They're, they're, they're perfect. I mean, they have no... They have no negative outlook. I mean, they're like a blank canvas and you can help them to paint whatever picture that they want. And I don't know, they're just so innocent. And to be able to have such a positive impact on a child who's, whose upbringing would have been a totally different path, 
had it not been for you, for you is just, that's kind of like one of the most fulfilling things you've ever done in life. I mean, sometimes I get kind of down on myself. I mean, if there's any high achievers out there, you may know this feeling like I can never do enough. I can never accomplish enough. I can never make enough money. I can never build a big enough business. I can never build enough multiple streams of income. And I've been thankful and grateful here in life that I've reached a lot of my big goals financially and with businesses and multiple streams of income. But, you know, you can tell that's not what I'm focused on here. Even this conversation, it's part of my life, but that isn't my life. Like it's a, um, your, your work life and your spiritual life and your home life and kind of the way you interact with others, you know, they're all connected obviously, but you know, when I really think about my biggest successes in life and the biggest contributions I've made, I got these five kids at home and I'm teaching them. I've got some lessons of building the right mindset uh, that I'm trying to teach my kids every day. I'd be happy to share those with you too. Yeah. I mean, kind of to expand upon that, how, how do you bridge the gap between what you've learned in, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a businessman, trying to find and create success and, um, you know, make a name for yourself there and just be as, as productive as you can. And then transcend those lessons to your kids upbringing like how how does how does that go well i mean we actually are very candid with our kids um so from five years old up to 17 you know when we adopted the girls for example we told the boys you know who were like 12 uh 10 and 9 or 12 10 and 8 at the time guys this is going to be a sacrifice like we're not going to be able to take a big family vacation this year we're not going to be able to buy you guys expensive Christmas presents this year. I mean, like, this is kind of like where we are as a family. We're going to make a large sacrifice. And they were in, they're like, okay, let's do this. So they were part of that. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people preach things to you all the time. Like, oh, you got to be a servant leader. You got to be, you know, love is a verb, all these kind of things. But when you actually put it into place, it's hard. And then when people see that it's hard, it's okay. Like my kids saw us cry. They saw us struggle. They saw us you know, nervously write a check that we barely had the money in our account to pay for something. And they, we talked to them about guys, you know, daddy's business is a little slow right now because I've spent so much time on this over here doing this with the adoption or being in China and I couldn't take any calls for three weeks. So, I mean, so the mindset isn't like you, you're, you're not entitled to anything. Like they've seen like how hard Jesse, Jessica and I work and her business, my business, they see that we try to save money. They see that we're good stewards of what we've been given. But really, it comes down to, uh, you know, I don't just let them have expensive things. I don't, I mean, they, we kind of, Jesse and I basically grew up kind of, like I said, not with a lot of ton of money. So we kind of, you know, have some of the same ways that we parent the way our parents parented us. Like, they're not going going out and getting these really expensive stuff all the time or gifts without it being Christmas or a birthday or spending crazy amounts of money at Christmas. Like we're just not doing that. And if they need something, I give them an opportunity to work for it. Like, oh, you you need a hundred dollars for this pair of shoes you want? Okay, listen, I'll I'll pay this much money because I think that's a fair amount for a pair of shoes. If you want to come up with the difference, here you can do these five chores, or you can go work for my business, or you can pass out some flyers in a neighborhood for me. So I, I'm basically trying to teach them from day one: you don't just get handed anything; that you really need to work for it, and you need to be excellent in what they do. So that you know, basically, there's five kids, and we've got businesses. Someday, one of those kids is probably going to inherit or have the opportunity to purchase from me one of these businesses. I'm going to watch their history and their time growing up and say, okay, which kid or kids are being excellent? How are they stewarding their money? How are they stewarding their finances and their 
and what God's blessed them with. So they're kind of in this real life, uh, you know, master's class of how to be uh, a great mindset and then how to also be a good member of society. Now that sounds like a rigorous interview process right there. It is, you know, it's kind of part of the <laughs> business, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to give you my business either. You know, I've told them about that. I was like, Hey, we're not just handing you guys out businesses when you guys grow up. I mean, you're going to earn them or you're going to work for them or you're going to or all to sell them and make and give the money to a charity somewhere. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not just going to hand them out stuff, you know? Yeah, no, that's good. I feel like there's like, um, I've spoken about this in some podcasts, but there's like a rotational cycle between you know, like if a, if a parent, if a, you know, couple grows up really, really hard, they want to make their kid's life a bit easier. And then that just becomes like this vicious, uh, you know, negative feedback loop in which, you know, the, there's a there's a hard parenting style, then a soft parenting style, then a hard, then a soft, and it just keeps rotating and little headway is made. But it, it's a challenge to kind of grow up hard and then hope that your your children can learn from those hard lessons and, and impart those to them in a way that is realistic and lifelike. But, you know, at the same time, you want to give them more opportunity than you had, so to speak. But oftentimes that opportunity comes from the hardships you endured. So it's a, it's a constant balancing act. I mean, I don't, I'm not a parent, so I have no idea how I'd even approach some of the situations, but it sounds like, you know, you making them work for what they're, what they're wanting is, is key for sure. Well, and that's, you know, it's, it's a great, great, great balancing act because honestly, I don't have it figured out. And, you know, Jesse and I are working really hard to try to not ruin our kids. The truth is, is that every parent is going to damage their kids a little bit. And you can talk to all the best of the best of the best writers of children's books and parenting books. They're all going to tell you, if they're honest, that no matter how good of a parent they think they were, they're still going to damage their kids a little bit. I mean, it's inevitable. We're, we're all human beings, right? And so we're all doing the best we can. And sometimes we have a bad day. Sometimes I yell at my wife or yell at my kids and I shouldn't have. You know, the key is, is that what lessons can we learn from that? And then the gaps that I've got as a parent, I'm, I'm hoping that they find other things in life too that are positive. You know, you think about some kids that come out really damaged in life. They turn to sex, they turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to overeating. I mean, honestly, parents do screw up their kids, like, and some of them are worse than others. And I was blessed to have two parents that really cared about me, loved me. They were there in the home every day. Jessie was not. I mean, she grew up in a home where things were a little tumultuous and whatever the word tumultuous, there you go. Um, and they, mm -hmm. um, they fought and they had a divorce and there was lots of other issues going on there. And so she grew up from a background completely different than mine. So even as a combined parent group, we still treat our kids differently because she came from one set of parenting style and I came from another. And I think both of us carry in some of that baggage, good and bad. So then you got to have this blended parenting style that satisfies both of us and is uniquely uh, generated for each kid because out of our five kids, they are all so different. I mean, I can't parent Tanner the same way I do Max. I can't parent Max the same way I do Lily. They all learn differently. They all have different um, behavior styles. I could yell at one of my kids and they would be like, so what? I could yell at another one of my kids and they would think, oh my gosh, my dad hates me and he's never going to forgive me. And so, you know, you, you really have to know your kids. And this doesn't have to be a parenting lesson here, but the bottom line is, is that you, you need to kind of do these love languages kind of things like you've probably done with your wife before, or they even have love languages in your business, but find out 
how do people respond to you the best? Like, do they, is it touch? Is it um, words of affirmation? Is it, uh, you know, gifts? Is it uh, acts of service and quality time? Like, so my one son, all he wants to do is sit on the couch and watch a show with me every night. It could be a documentary about World War II. It could be a Nickelodeon show. It doesn't matter. He just wants to sit with me. So obviously he's telling me right there, my, my love language is, you know, quality time. That's what he wants. And he also hugs me twice a day. So what do you think his other love language is? You know, touch. physical touch. Exactly. So if I went to him and I said, I'm going to go and uh, build you a 401k account for you from when you're older. And all I did was ever call him on the phone and never saw him in person and just said, I'm going to build you a multi-million dollar uh, sales funnel so that when you become 20 years old, you're going to be rich. Do you think he would really care about that? No. No, I don't know. His dad come home and hug me and sit on the couch with me. So, you know, getting back to your question of how do you do this, I think the first thing is you got to know your audience. You got to know your who you're loving on and how they need to be loved. That's probably the best lesson I could give you. Yeah, it's 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 cool, man. Like we we totally went off on a tangent on how to, you know, raise kids, but I'm thinking about all the things you said and I feel like the way you would raise your children whom you've obviously cared deeply about is pretty much like the the cream of the crop as far as the lessons you've learned in life in business and in, in relationships and everything. Um, so like what you would impart to your kids, like those same lessons is what I would want to glean from you just listening to you talk about mindset and business. Um, but with, with that said, what, what are, what are some things, what, what are your weaknesses, man? Like what, what are things that you haven't got figured out yet as far as, you know, where are some glaring holes that, you don't really know how to approach in your own life and, and how to impart it onto your, your kids. Well, I'd say the biggest thing is, is, uh, saying no to things. I mean, so you and I both are serial entrepreneurs, right? We got multiple streams of income. We got different uh, things that we like to do and want to do every day. You would probably spend 99% of your time probably coaching and podcasting, but it may not pay the bills, the keto bricks and other things you're working on, investment properties, whatever, that actually might pay the bills, but it may not be as flashy, fun, and exciting. So for me, I have this balancing act every day. Um, and part of my mindset is, you know, I need to remember like certain things do pay the bills today, but it might be just for a season. Like, you know, for me, I've built a, a nice size sales organization where I have other salespeople and administrative professionals helping me sell. So I don't have to go out and physically sell to every single person. And honestly, it's not my love. Like, it's not my first love. My first love is coaching and teaching and uh, mentoring and writing a book that I've been writing for three years that I haven't finished yet. And, uh, you know, doing my own podcast and, and being a leader, like that's what fires me up. That's what gets me excited. But that stuff isn't paying the bills today. So we go back to the sweeping the floors, working at the chili parlor kind of mentality of I got to do what I'm supposed to do today as excellent as possible. So my weakness, number one, is I have way too many things that I want to say yes to. So for example, like today, I've got a couple investment properties. I've got a um, this coaching, teaching kind of business I want to get off the ground. I've got a book I'm trying to write. I own a part of a market center of Keller Williams. So I actually have like, you know, an ownership interest in an office that I want to see succeed with a hundred agents in it. I also own a small real estate team with 10 people in it. And I want to see that succeed. And I also have to sell my own kind of um, clients, their properties, buying and selling. So given uh, waking up one morning, I got five major things I've got to focus on. Well, it's impossible. So my weakness is, okay, what do I, 
why do I keep saying yes to all these things? Maybe I need to say yes to one thing at a time, get really good at it, and then go on to the next. So you and I both kind of talked about this in the past of like, how do you prioritize those things? And it comes down to kind of time blocking and prioritizing, which is kind of part of this whole mindset game too, is like focusing on the things that you're going to get the most time and money leverage out of until you're through with that season. Maybe you build a war chest up or whatever, and then you can focus on some of your other things. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally, totally agree. It's hard to be exclusive though, especially in the beginning, like until you've, like, I don't think I've made it by any means, but until you've quote unquote gained some traction momentum, you almost have to just be aggressive and say yes to pretty much everything because you don't know what's going to stick and what's not. And you do that for so long that it kind of builds the habit up of saying yes to everything. So that when you do start gaining traction and momentum, it's hard to, you know, flip the script and, you know, be more exclusive. At least I think that's what's been my issue. Um, like before I started the business and even when I started the business, like the first several years, I mean, I was, I was clawing, clawing my way through to, to gain any, any momentum. And in doing that, like I, I didn't turn anything down. Like I just, any opportunity, I just jumped at it. You know, maybe this will stick, maybe it won't, but I'm going for it. Um, and now that I have some traction, I'm trying to reel that in a little bit, but that's a hard, that's a hard, you know, psyche to break. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and and here's the thing is you got to be willing to say no to things and you got to be willing to burn things down. So I talked, I may have talked to you a little bit about this in person last time we talked, but just to recap. So, um, I believe in concentric circles. So you come up with what we call a field of favor. And that's when you are in an area where you know you've been uniquely gifted to do it. You're passionate about it. You love it. You're good at it. People will pay you to do it. We all have something different, right? And there could, you could have multiple fields of favor, but most people have primarily one thing. So let's just use my example. I'm a great real estate agent. Okay, I am. I, I, I know my stuff. I've sold a ton of houses. I've got great average sale prices. I earn my people more money, blah, 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 right? So I, I've been doing it for 15 years. I'm still really good at people call me all the time. And that's not to brag. That's just the facts. Okay. I'm good at it. So then what do I decide to do is I, you know, Hey, I'm going to start this Keller Williams franchise, which is a real estate business. So I made a money investment and recruiting some time and helped other people build this office. Well, that concentric circle was part of my, I'm a great real estate agent. So then I went to another concentric circle and that is, Hey, if I build a team, you know, then I can use some leverage of time and people and systems and build that out. Then I bought some investment property, which is also in the real estate world. Then I, you know, I'm looking at this uh, coaching teaching business, which is about real estate. And then you, you, you know, and that everyone can apply this to their own world. The problem is, a few years ago, I got this wild hair idea to build an app development company to help men become better husbands and partners. Well, the the cool thing about it was I came up with this really great idea. I got all these people on board. I invested a lot of money, which you know, could have bought me another investment house. And I literally spent three years of my life on this side hustle, trying to get this app development company off the ground. We built different versions of it. End of the day, it failed. And, you know, my primary lesson I learned was it was not in my field of favor. It was not in my concentric circles. I went from the real estate business out into the, I'm going to help people become better husbands and partners and build relationships. And as admirable or admirable as that situation is and it was a good cause and I was helping people and I got letters from all over the world saying you really helped me be a better husband that was great pat on the back yay ultimately it was not in my field of favor and I had to shut it all down I literally burned the company to the ground uh it didn't physically exist so I was allowed to do it on paper but uh I literally set a match to a, a document and I said okay I burned that thing up it's gone so you have to be willing to say you know what 
I tried this, I failed. It wasn't, I, I did not get traction. I did not get all the love coming my direction I was hoping for and monetary rewards. So I think we all need to be willing to say, you know what, that didn't work out and burn it down. Yeah. And to, to hinge off of that, it, it just really illustrates the importance of finding something that one, you're passionate about and you have a natural skill set and self-awareness towards, and then just leveraging that and doubling down on it. Like I think it was the book Mastery um, by Robert Greene, I believe that really just hit this home for me. You know, like me being in the keto space, I've got keto savage, I've got keto brick. There's like a jillion other entities that I've, I've got in the works that are going to bud off of that, but they're all somehow interconnected and related. And when you, when you have that, that kind of, you know, momentum with one thing, it's much, much easier to branch off and gain traction towards another thing that's different, but still has some parallels. Whereas if you're going off on no man's land and doing something that's totally out of your scope of expertise, it's just, I mean, you, you lose so much credibility and traction right out of the gates that it becomes just, an, it's, it's a dangerous step to take because then you risk your main thing burning to the ground because you can't, you know, devote as much time and attention to it because you're trying to do something totally unrelated. That's why, you know, finding your thing early in life and just everything that you do, having it come back to that in some form or fashion is huge. Like perfect example. I love hunting the outdoors, fishing, camping, all of that. But at the time, I, I saw no parallels with that and the businesses I was trying to build with, you know, Keto Savage and Keto Bricks. So I sacrificed that. Like I had to give up, you know, my my huge, uh, you know, passion in that. But now I've, I've been kind of thinking and working on finding ways to bring that back in under the same, you know, ketogenic branding and, and um, you know, lifestyle and I'll be able to implement it in a way that is not going to deviate too much from my primary focus. But I think anybody would benefit from finding what their thing is and then doubling down on that first and foremost and not trying to just totally branch off in an unrelated direction because then that's just recipe for disaster. Oh, I agree with you 100%. Well, there's a couple of things I would recommend to people is one, um, you know, you got to kind of try a few things probably until you find your field of favor. Um, but once you find that field of favor, your one thing that you're really good at, start drawing some circles around it, like make a bubble chart, literally on a piece of paper and start building your future. I don't know if you remember, we may have talked about this before, but the Disney map, basically Walt Disney back in the fifties drew this map of, it's really cool actually. And it's all these things that he envisioned in like the fifties of what his Disney empire would look like. This is before any of it was done. Okay. He literally had movie studios, he had theme parks, he had uh, music, he had uh, merchandise, he had um, TV shows. Uh, and I, literally, you got to Google this because you can Google it and the image pops right up. It's like it says Disney mind map or Disney map in the 50s, uh, not Disney resort park map because that's a whole different thing. But so literally, he built this map. <laughs> and what's cool about it is most of the stuff didn't happen until he was gone. I mean, he died in, I think, in the early 80s, late 70s. and a lot of the stuff on this map had never been done. But what was cool about it is he would hire somebody. This is a story I've heard, and I can't point this to a specific book, but he would show somebody his map and say, you're joining my company as the janitor today in this little studio making cartoons, but someday you could be running my apparel business. You could be doing this. He showed him this vision of where the company was going. Well, who doesn't want to be part of something huge that isn't there yet? Like everyone wants to join this vision. So I literally took this to heart. I made my own Disney map uh, with my own real estate business. 
And I drew all these circles and kind of made a big chart out of it and threw it on my wall. And when I hire a new employee or I'm considering hiring a new employee, I show them that map. And I said, I understand you're coming in to be a guy that's just going to make some phone calls here on our team. But let me show you where we're going. Let me show you the vision for the, the Thai group and the Thai enterprises and Keller Williams and all these things we're doing. And I show them this map and I say, this is my vision. Would you like to be part of this or not? And people always the right people. Now, some of the people are overwhelmed by that or they're scared to death or they just want to be the janitor. I'm not looking for people like that. I'm looking for the next CEO of one of my businesses. So when I hire somebody, I don't care what position it is. I always tell them, I'm sorry, I'm not hiring for this position today. I'm actually hiring for a CEO position. Would you be interested in that position? I want to see what their ambition level is. What do you think about that? I love it, man. No, I, I totally love it. It's, it's funny you say that because you know, in in the office right next to me, I'm in my podcasting studio now, but my office right next door, I've got this huge whiteboard on the wall and it's got a mind map on it. And it looks like a spider web. Like my, the business I have in mind, I mean, it's funny because the people that watch my YouTube videos, listen to my podcast, they know me as Keto Savage that makes Keto Brick. But I literally have that, that is two small bubbles in this spider web maze of things that I have in my head to make and, and I will create over the course of my life. And it's just, it's exciting, man. Like it, it gives you something to look forward to tomorrow for it. It makes those 17 hour days all worthwhile because you know that you're building something bigger than you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's part of back to where we started at the beginning of this conversation is, you know, mindset. Like I see it in my mind too. Like when I, when I make decisions, I'm thinking about the future. Like how does this play into my future? How does this hire that I'm about to hire fall into this future plan? If I'm going to make this decision about whether it is buying a new piece of office equipment, a new piece of software, uh, making a decision about um, uh, like, you know, physically partnering up with another company or a vendor, I think, well, how would this kind of, how does this in the context of what I'm trying to do long term, does this move me toward my goals or does does this move me away from my goals? Exactly. And I, I, man, I love it. I love it. This, this kind of stuff right here literally just energizes me. Conversations like this make me feel alive like I, I could be at a, a lull in energy like a dip after a big lunch meal or something and have a conversation like you've just had and i'm like fired up ready to go tackle the world well next time i'm coming down to your place and we're going to do this in person at, at your place how's that let's do it man i got uh i got the setup here so let's uh let's do a round two podcast in person we'll do a video we'll get get a workout in we'll just make it happen yeah that's great and uh i just want to say thank you too for all your advice you give me uh on uh becoming the best version of myself. I mean, I want to get better and better as I um, get older, as we've just talked about. And I feel like at 43, uh, we'll see each other on the keto cruise here, the low carb cruise coming up. And I want to be in the best shape of my life. And when I tell people that around me, they look at me like, okay, Derek, whatever. And they kind of pat you on the back or pat you on the head. It's like, no, I, I had uh, a pretty good physical physique when I was in college. And then I kind of just been okay since then. I want to be better looking literally, physically. I want to be better emotionally. I want to be sharper in my brain than I've ever been my entire life right now. And my mindset is I will do it. I have affirmations that say I'm going to keep all my hair, which is important to me because like my mom's whole side of the family is bald. And I say <laughs> affirmations every day. I use my infrared light uh, therapy on my head and do other things. But literally, I've got these positive affirmations. I speak out loud every day. I speak my goals out loud every day. Um, Monday through Friday, I come into the office. I pray. I do my podcasts, uh, listen to like a devotion. I do my affirmations. I speak my goals out loud. 
and then I journal gratitude, which was on your last last pad, your last podcast. But I do all those things as a morning ritual, pretty much every day. And I know I'm going to get better. I know I'm going to get smarter. I know I'm going to get wiser. I know I'm going to get healthier and stronger. It's like that's just part of my day to day language, where I'm telling myself that my cells don't have a choice. They're rebuilding themselves every second as we speak. They have to mold into what I'm telling them to mold into. They don't have a choice. A hundred percent agree, man. And I really appreciate and try to emulate that lifestyle and perspective as well. Because, you know, imagine waking up and feeling like your best days are behind you. Imagine waking up and feeling like you cannot change your outcome for the day. Like that, that would just be depressing. I wouldn't even want to get out of bed. But if you wake up and you feel like you're going to be better today than you were yesterday, that you feel like you're actually physically going to look and feel better, you feel like you're going to become more intelligent, more, uh, you know, just enlightened to what it is you're doing in life. I mean, you got to be excited. Like, like I've said this before on podcast too, but, but being happy and trying to search for happiness in life, that's, that's a, that's an arbitrary goal and it, it's elusive. But if you go through life with the goal of being excited and finding something that, you know, invigorates you, then you'll by default be happy. So having the outlook of growth and opportunity and willingness to just best to yourself every day you you wake up i mean how can you not be excited about that oh my gosh well i told you earlier i teased you with it that i have some uh like uh some steps i give my kids um before we finish up today i want to make sure i give you those too um because i actually do i have a i have a roku network channel out there uh, called real estate experts um one of the like six real estate agents in the world that has a roku network channel but um they asked me to do uh different uh different topics i got to do mindset is one of the topics out there um but i mm-hmm. kind of i have like a eight bullet points i can give you real quick that help somebody on how to actually have a positive mindset yeah absolutely man far away the one is expect positive things to happen to you like expect it and then you can't live in uh so the same point is you also, you can't live in fear and faith you have to choose one of those two okay Number two is you have to serve others. When you take the focus off yourself, um, that helps you with that positive mindset. You don't get depressed about what you don't have anymore. The third one is celebrate as often as possible. Find little moments in life to celebrate. And you don't have to reward yourself with a Sunday. You know, you can just pat yourself on the back and give someone a high five. Just do something to celebrate as many times as possible. Number four, keep a success diary. So, you know, like you can actually look back and say, you know what? I forgot I did that. Or man, that really good thing did happen to me. I just had this happen the other day. I looked back from three years ago at some huge thing I got done and I kind of just forgot about it. And reading that in my success diary made me feel like, man, you are a champion. You are strong. You, and it kind of reaffirms those affirmations. The next one is um, always do the right thing. It's like no matter what, you know, if you want the positive mindset, you got to always be doing the right thing to keep in that positive mindset. Um, number six, have a positive perspective. Um, so winning sometimes feels like losing in the moment, but remember it's a long game. So like for me, I know I'm going to live a long time. So even if something feels like losing at the moment, just know that if you're doing the right thing, it's going to be winning in the long term. Um, and then number seven is do daily affirmations. I actually write mine out then I speak them out loud. And the last one is, uh, make sure you give gratitude. So tell other people you're thankful for them and tell other people that you love them and tell people why not just hey i love you it's like hey i love you and you just really light up my life every day and you're just really special to me or i really love the way you did this and that or i love the way you make me feel when you say this like be specific about gratitude with people and then make sure you are grateful for things you did because we always 
thank other people, but we don't always thank ourselves or we're not grateful for ourselves. So uh, you got to pat yourself on the back and encourage yourself sometimes too. I love it, man. And you, you have all those in a list. I can I can print that out and stick it on my bathroom wall or something. Yeah, actually, it's and it's um it's on my uh, YouTube channel and on my Roku network. Um, we actually talk through those in uh, kind of a video format, but I can also uh, text them to you, uh, email them to you, so that you can put them on the notes or something. Yeah, shoot those to me if you don't mind. I'll I'll get that printed out and stuck up on a, a wall somewhere so I can I can look at them and recite them every day. I'm all, I'm all about that stuff. Yeah. Like you have to take action. Like it's not going to be handed to you. You have to actually take physical action to improve your life and, and doing stuff like that, like those eight bullets. I mean, that's, that's, that's the bread and butter of it right there. Well, I know it's great to have a lot of theory out there, but I think kind of comes down to, and I stole all those from other people. So I'm not claiming any uh, authorship over all that. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's like you and I yeah. are readers, so we're always reading books. So I just kept reading all these mindset books. Um, and there is a good book called Mindset, by the way. It's uh, Carolyn Dweck. But um, I got a couple of those out from her and a couple from a class I had gone to recently. And, you know, you got to be an assembler of great content, put them into one area. And then uh, I encourage anyone out there, if you're really passionate about a topic like you are, uh, you know, do a podcast, write a blog, um, you know, write a, a book you know, write a journal, do something with that content, curate it together, because we all have a unique perspective on life. So my perspective on mindset might be 99% similar to yours, but then yours is going to be uniquely you as well. So if you've got a passion for some topic like this, do something about it. You know, that's my goal. Like you said, just go do it. Completely agree, man. Completely agree. Let's, let's definitely, let's definitely do a round two on this, man. I want to, I want to get you on here again in person when you come down and see me. And we'll, we'll just uh, we'll put some of these principles into practice and, and put it on video. I would love that. Yeah. And I would love to uh, kind of see your whole setup down there. I'm excited about that, too. For sure, man. For sure. Well, Derek, where can people go to find out more about you? I don't know if you have a I know you're on, on the real estate social side of things. But yeah, what's well, so, so where, where are people going to find you there? Yeah. Someone wants to see my crazy family in action. Um, I get called Ty all the time because that's my last name. So that Ty guy is my Instagram handle. That Ty guy. Uh, and, uh, I also have a YouTube channel. It's under the Thai group, which is the name of our company, uh, Roku network. If you want, want to watch some of these, uh, kind of inspirational videos I put out there, uh, under the real estate experts channel, there's a channel on there. And then I, I have all the content on there. And then, uh, there was one other thing, uh, Facebook, you know, the Thai group, if you're in, if that's one thing I was going to say too, if you guys are interested in learning about real estate anywhere in the world, I don't mind helping out. Just send me a note and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying investment property in Portland, Oregon or, you know, Topeka, Kansas or whatever. I can find someone anywhere in the world to help you with real estate and people that have the same mindset as me that are winners, that are contribution focused, servant leaders. So don't don't feel bad. It's like, oh, I don't live in Cincinnati. Just reach out to me. And I'll hook you up with somebody that's like me. That's kind of got a uh, looking out for your best interests. Awesome. I love it, man. I love it. Well, I certainly appreciate all that you've done. With, with me and for me and just the interactions that we've had thus far. So I'm excited to keep sharpening each other, man. Like they say, you know, iron sharpens iron. That's exactly right. And I appreciate you with all the insight you've given me. And uh, I love sharing back and forth. It's the best way to do it. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Derek, until next time, man. Take care, brother.